Volume number three, in special insert number five. Ian Vincent sitting alongside Ian Nick. Hello, everybody. And today we have a special guest on, uh, Mr. Tim Cask. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing fine, thanks. Glad to have you here. This week we're going to be talking a little bit about almost everything about Tim. So it's going to be Tim all the time, all the way. <laughs> oh, let's hope not. Tim, what's your favorite color? Yes. <laughs> Maroon. Oh, okay. <laughs> Followed closely by dark green. Ah, I see. Interesting. Well, let's start off a little bit about the uh, the Eldritch Enterprises. Uh, how did that How did that start? Well, um, I got I was out of gaming for twenty some years, and then um, Frank and I got together, and it was kind of a when yeah, when we first got together, I've been back like oh uh, six, um, and. Uh, the oh, wouldn't it be cool? Get some of us all farts that sit around and do you know, and and um, let's put together, you know, kind of like we were kind of like Mickey Rooney and Shirley Temple. Hey, let's put on a show, <laughs> Judy Garland. Let's put on a show, let's put on a company. And um, so it evolved from uh, wouldn't it be cool to well, let's see if we can't do it. And I was getting ready to retire, um, and uh. He just uh, sort of fell into place. Then Jim got so terribly sick, uh, and uh, that that uh, that was a that was a real uh, blow to the company because he got so very very ill and um, so burdened down with uh, medical bills and whatever. Uh, here and I had almost gotten him paid off on his first bout, and then he had the worst bout, and he's five times farther in the hole. Oh boy! Yeah. Wow. But I, I give a shout-out to the people at Penny Arcade because mm-hmm. they really helped me. I'd set up a bail-out-the-warden fund trying to raise money to help pay Jim's bills. And when they gave me a post on there, we really rocked, raised a lot of money. And I'm really, really grateful to those guys for uh, helping me uh, help Jim. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate that, too. So I'm looking on your your website here for the uh, enterprises here. W- what's the the product that you're currently working on that we can look forward to? Or is, is well, I have a brand new one out. Curse of the my my newest is Curse of the Weaver Queen. It just came out last week. Curse of the Weaver. We're actually going to we're going to oh. actually have a few hard copies at TotalCon in two weeks. Just a few. We could only get a few printed up and shipped in time, but uh, we're actually going to have a few of that. Then it's something. Uh, I'm working on, well, let's see. If you're familiar with our product line, we have Dark Outpost and we have um, Dark something else. And there's a third one in the arc. They're sci-fi, which is why I'm a little vague on the titles. But I'm I'm collaborating with Jim Ward. Um, After it had gone into print, I found out that they'd named the planet after me. One of our our old TSR jokes, we used to do that. (laughs) You know, we used to name artifacts after ourselves and our characters. Sure. 
yeah, yeah. Gormage and yeah. Such. Well, so here, yeah, yeah, and so here it is, uh, uh, Planet Cask, and uh, <laughs> so on the collaboration with Jim, I'm gonna do the planet side. It's gonna as it's my planet, and it has to be sci-fi. But then I'm thinking, Star Wars is sci-fi, and there are adepts that manipulate power. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm collaborating with him on that. Um, I'm starting uh, initial plotting for a follow-up to Snake Riders of the Arredondo, uh, Return to the Isle of Arredondo, and then a third one will complete that arc under the Isle of, of Arredondo. Um, so I'm going to do an underwater adventure. because that be good. Well, my Curse of the Weaver Queen that just came uh, just came out, Curse of the Weaver. Um, I can't remember. We, we had to change the title because it looked like it was too close to something that I'd never read. But <laughs> you know, well, I'm I'm I've maintained my uh, relative virginity RPG wise. Um, all the years I was out, I didn't didn't even look at RPGs. I still board gamed with some of my friends, but I never looked at RPGs. No oh, kidding! Wow, wow. it's just I, stayed away from it that much. Yeah. Well, when I when I got went out, I was not enamored of the gaming industry at the time because of the ser- sequence of events that happened between eighty and eighty three, mm. um, between being forced out at TSR and then uh, having to fold up my publishing company due to uh, Reaganomics. You know, I, I had to fold up a company that was making money on paper every month, every issue. I made money with Adventure Gaming, but mm. I couldn't collect it. Wow. Uh, that, that period of time saw a shakeout, a huge shakeout of small businesses, and a disproportionate share happened to be mom-and-pop hobby shops. Yeah. They, they disappeared in the early and mid-'80s. They were gone. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it was a good chunk of my uh, distribution network. So uh, anyway, uh, where was I? I got off-site somewhere. No, you're fine. You were telling us about the, uh, the project you were working on. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, so I'm going to do that. And then, um, I've got a, I've got one that I'm going to be, uh, play testing at Total Con that I've been working on a while called the Castle of Glass. Oh, cool. And, um, it has, um, really strange things from another plane. And, uh, and a new elder race I invented. Uh, whenever I write on my world, I love, I've never done this until recently, but I get to make up stuff all the time. So every, every adventure I write, I'm, I'm writing what my partner Chris calls source material. And I just so I don't know, I thought it was background fluff. <laughs> That's what I called 30 years ago. Filler, you know, just uh, filling it. But it's actually, I, that's actually part of, part of the uh, thing that I like doing the best is writing in the background. So um, <clears throat> that's, um, well, and then Frank and I got a couple of collaborations that are on the back burner. Um, the way the the way the company works is we all peer review. We all read each other's uh, first first we first time we think we're done, and we pick it apart, and we send them all back, and uh, then uh, except for my stuff, I usually uh, get an ad- I I edit. I'm an editor for the other three guys. Uh, s- s- more for some than others, but that our our way our we are set up. We peer review, then it comes to me for editing, then it goes back, then it gets what we call our nitpick afterwards. <laughs> and uh, so um, I'm involved with most of what's going on creatively, but it, 
Chris Clark, our fourth partner uh, from Inner City Games, is uh, our uh, technical and logistical genius type guy who we rely on for getting this hard copies printed and getting out there and knowing how to do these. Uh, we, we had a terrible learning curve with PDFs. Um, hmm. The um, Well, the, the allowance that we have to leave for sloppiness is appalling. Oh. I, I say this because of coming from the hot wax and exacto knife and burnishing stone period of magazine making, where we tried to get everything within a 64 of an inch manually and did, what we have to allow for the sloppiness of print-on-demand fulfillment presses, you know, whoever, is, it's just appalling. Um, really? They can be so sloppy and off, and we have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've, I've heard that with print-on-demand. It was a real eye-opener because I came from a very yeah. precise layout criteria to a very loosey-goosey, all the, all the breaks go to the printer. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot from, from people who are trying to get product. Uh, they'll you know, do a PDF, but they'll also do you know, print-on-demand through whoever it is out there. And I guess depending on you go, through you go, who you go through, it's really hit or miss on the quality well, that you're going to get. Well, and see, we have several. We, we, our stuff is available on several sites, uh, and please <laughs> don't yeah. ask me which other ones besides drive through. <laughs> but the problem is, while if there's if there's four print on demand places that we're at right now, and I'm not sure if it's if it's four, but we'll say there is. Okay. <laughs> Three of them can be crackerjack, but we have to allow for the fourth one. Hmm. Right. Okay. We have to. We can't rely that you know it won't happen. And th- that was our learning curve. That's why some of our early stuff came out rather slowly and a little late. Not because it wasn't. It was done late. It's because we were just beating our head on the wall trying to figure out. You can't just create a PDF with Adobe and then drop it into print on demand. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Wow. No. Okay. No. <laughs> no. Not if not if you want it clean. No, yeah, I, I do everything in InDesign. Yeah, now, that's in, that's in the Adobe suite. Yeah, but Frank does all the layouts in InDesign. Yeah, Chris used to use PageMaker. He's learning InDesign. I'm beginning to PageMaker's learn. PageMaker's still out there. I'll be doggone. Yeah, well, it is on old computers. <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from. Being a person that ha- uses InDesign and wrote two modules to put on Lulu Press and drive through RPG, it is a pain. It's not easy. No, it is not. You you have to, and again, you're not allowed to make any sloppy mistakes, no. and, and all the mistakes are allowed to the printer, and that's yeah. just the, that's just the way it is. It's yeah. the nature of the beast now. I guess yep. that's a trade-off that, you know, now we have things like print-on-demand where, you know, your your cost, your overhead is like virtually nil, but you get this other thing you got to deal with, so... Well, and see, we've done that just the opposite with uh, Guy Gax Magazine, which right. we're going to talk about later. Yeah, yeah. So uh, back to Eldridge. Um, Frank's got four out, I believe. Jim's got four done. I think he's got three out and a fourth one coming, uh, including a real screwball one that's going to show uh, Jim's uh, weird and whacked-out sense of humor. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I really enjoy collaborating with him on it. It's uh, called The Squirrel Tower. 
Oh, gosh. I can only imagine. <laughs> no, I don't think you can. Because I thought I knew what he was doing, too, until I got it. And I worked with him uh, quite a bit on it, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's something a little different than what we've been doing. It's certainly different than what I do. Mine, mine all seem to arc together. Um, they all take place on my world. Frank's take place on his world. Um, Chris, um, I don't know that Chris has used a world. I I helped uh, with uh, Forest uh, Strange Allies, which is a follow up to Forest of Deceit. But I don't recall that it was set on a particular world. Uh, I don't think Chris's have to be on a world. They just he has a, a great knack for just writing these neat, compact little things you can just kind of parachute into any campaign. He's very good at that. So I'm I, not yet. I'm having to figure out how to do that. So I think the number one question for LG Enterprises I always see is how does someone get involved with uh, helping you or submitting something to you, Tim? Or well, are you taking uh, things, for example? Yeah. Uh, right now, I know of three or four people right now that I would love to see a manuscript from. However, we are still, until we have about 16 to 20 of our own products out there, we simply can't divert our time right now to looking at other stuffs. It's not to say we might not be by the end of the summer. Right. Uh, it's just... We've we've had some teething pains. Um, we we've learned that um, you know we've all had to relearn how to use uh, new software, old software. Um, again, um, I'm humbled by uh, what we didn't know when we thought we had our stuff pretty well together. <laughs> huh. And uh, no, uh-uh. uh-uh. I don't think we weren't we we weren't filled with hubris. But we kind of thought we had an angle, but um, this print-on-demand caught, uh, caught three, of, three of us off guard. And Chris, who had a little experience with it, uh, as everybody started changing, uh, all of a sudden, print-on-demand, you can't do in PageMaker. No. Take them anymore. Well, that happened to us halfway through our first uh, cycle of releases, and Chris is still working in PageMaker. Oh, Okay, we hadn't all traded over yet because, you know, some of us, we had to buy the sweets and we waited until we got a super, super deal and we bought sweets for me and for Frank and um, I think we got part of a suite for Jim. We didn't give him the things we knew he wasn't going to be using. Right. And then we finally got, I think we finally got the rest of the suite for Chris. But, you know, that's, that's, that's heavy money. Yeah, the Adobe and design is not cheap. You're right. Uh, and when when the four of us got to get a new program nowadays, it looks like we're looking at a grand on the minimum because we have to buy you know commercial versions so that we can use them to sell stuff with. And I don't even <laughs> pretend to understand the ins and outs of that. That's Chris. He yeah. knows that stuff because he's been doing it for twenty years. Yep, to do it legally, that's how you have to do it. Yeah. So anyway, that's you know, um, Frank's got stuff he's working on um, right now. I, he he may have the most that have actually hit the hit the uh, page there. Mm, yeah, I'm looking at the. the uh, yeah, I have the least. I only have two. Frank's, Chris now has two, but has uh, that'll change because I'll I'll have a couple three coming out between now and Gen Con probably. Um, and again, it's just we're we're learning where our choke points are. And uh, trying to better distribute what each of us does to uh, streamline the process. And we've got uh, 
four individual egos that all feel <laughs> what we do. Yeah. So that's fun. I missed the chance of getting the uh, Snake Riders last year at North Texas RPG Con when you were there. And uh-huh. I wanted to, I was figured I'll just pick it up this time when I go. So you'll have well, more, hopefully. See, uh, well, actually, uh, that's funny. That one that was at Texas is the one we call our uh, uh, Field and Stream <laughs> cover because <laughs> that was completely photoshopped. And uh, because we had to have a cover, and the art was the the guy that we had commissioned to do the art. I don't know what happened to him. Oh. Anyway, uh, the art wasn't coming, and so Chris whacked together a cover, and it was it was good. You know, it was acceptable. It wasn't what we would have liked, but it was acceptable. I wasn't ashamed of it or anything. Let's not collector's what... item. Yeah, uh, dang. Jim Wampler found this really good young uh, lady artist in Sweden. And she did that new cover with the gold binding around the edge and everything. And uh, she did the cover on my uh, Curse of the Weaver also. I was wondering she, why it looked different. She did some that. interior art in Curse of the Weaver. Oh, okay. I was, I was sitting there going, wait, did I, I don't remember that cover for the book. No. So now I have about 35 of those <laughs> sports of field or field and stream. Hey, Vince, you play your cards, right? Yeah. I have about 35 of them in my garage right now. So uh, we, we know those are collector's items. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Uh, I, may, I may have some goodies in my bag of Texas. I usually do. Okay, I'll have to raid your bag of Texas then. Well, I just, <laughs> had, to turn, I just had to turn in an inventory. For tax purposes, so they know how many are there again. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's not an open pantry, <laughs> but if you want, well, we'll get you one. That's not a problem. I can uh, tell you what if you uh, if you sit down and read it and then talk about it, I'll send you a review copy on a PDF. Oh, certainly, definitely. I'll we'll, okay. We'll, we can, we'll do a review for you, definitely. All right, and I'll, I'm I'm looking for honest reviewers. Oh, that yeah. doesn't mean people that kiss my butt and write good stuff. That means the people that can give an honest appraisal of what we do. Good uh, critiques, good constructive oh, criticism. Ex- exactly. And it seems to me, especially when I look online, mm. that the, the so-called reviewers, a great many of them, talk more about what they thought it should have been rather than what it is. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's true. So talk about what it is. And if if you bomb mine or one of you know somebody else's and you have well thought out reasons why you simply didn't like it, doesn't mean I'm not going to send you the next new one. If you're an honest reviewer, I know that we do some good stuff. Maybe not everyone is going to hit every reviewer's fancy, but I know that we're going to do good. We are doing good stuff. I mean, without swelling with hubris, we're four pretty talented guys. Mm-hmm. So I know that we're capable of doing good stuff. I read it all. You know, I mean, Frank does incredibly crunchy AD&D stuff. Um, Jim, nobody does sci-fi better than Jim. Chris is just all over the place, an enormously talented person. Uh, knows his sci-fi down to the valence count of the atoms and the ray gun. Uh, and maybe That's more, good. <laughs> maybe even more than Jim in that regard, and and also has a marvelous light touch with uh, fantasy, and um, can do some uh, incredible tongue and in cheek stuff. Um, I I'm pretty much a, I started to talk earlier about being a virgin. I don't read anybody else's games. 
The only game systems I've looked at in the last eight years are Mouse Guard, mm-hmm. Burning Wheel. I think that's it. Oh, I think we're going. All right, because and I don't look at other guys' modules because I was trained in the steal every good idea you find and blend it into your own soup school of RPGs. We didn't have modules and you know we we read books and stole ideas. We watched movies and stole ideas. Um, half the psionic combat comes from Doctor Strange comic books that Gary and I both loved. Ah, nice. That's, I didn't know that angle on that. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I, I created the psionic system. I'll take the lumps for that, too. I, I was going to say, I think you have a lot of people want to have an answer for that. I don't know. Well, it's fine. There are some that like it, too. So yeah. it is what it is. Oh. I, was, I was not nearly as skilled a designer then as I think I am now. Um, would I go back and do it? No. <laughs> do I use it? Uh, vaguely, once in a while. Yeah. And that's an interesting point, Tim, I think you make is, you know, then, because being a history guy and everything, a lot of people forget, you know, when they look back on stuff like, you know, original brown box D&D or... That's why I cut my teeth. Yeah, and Holmes Edition or, you know, first edition AD&D as it's known now, people Those are all cookers. Yeah, people forget, you know... Well, they say, well, they were doing this wrong, that, and this wrong. Ah, you know, oh, boy. They were cutting, they were plowing new t- ground here. They were, they were, this was new then. Let me, you know? give, you a good, let me give you a good metaphor for and that. They forget, they, they, they forget the historical context. Well, uh, uh, several years ago, when the second Hobbit movie came out, I was sitting at the uh, in the front row of my local cinema, my feet propped up on the railing where I always sit. <laughs> and, well, it's not front front, but it's front. We have stadium seating in our theaters, so right. it's the front yeah. of the good section. And about halfway through the movie, it struck me that that movie, I wouldn't even be enjoying that movie up on the screen more than likely um, if it hadn't been for the silly crap that we were doing back in 74 and 75 and 76. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote, I wrote a, uh, I probably published it on Dragon's Foot or somewhere. I wrote a letter to J.K. Rowling, congratulating oh. her. I, I think the woman's a genius. She tailored yeah. her writing to her market. But yeah. who was paying for the books? Right. People that thought D and D was okay, fantasy's okay. They realized it was all right. We cut down the trees, pulled out the stumps, and planted that first little field. Out of it. Peter Jackson's movies grew. Yeah, right. J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter grew, and all the stuff in between. Yep. And yeah, that's a really nice feeling. Yeah, it's it's just amazing because I'll I'll hear from people when they they're not familiar with the older editions, and a lot of them will look back and it's like, well, why were they doing it this way? It's like, well, remember they were this was uncharted territory, literally. I mean, like when you, when you talk about the psionics thing, it's like some people don't like it, some people do. It's like, who cares? It's the, the important thing is this was new at the time. And, and what, they, what they need to do is they need to go back and read the forewords and the prefaces that Gary and I wrote. Exactly. Every book says these are not hard and fast rules. These are guidelines. Right. Yeah, some people forget to we, read that part. Some people forget that. Yeah. Yeah, they were not rules. They were guidelines. That's one of the As, things that we do stress on the show generally is like it's 
more times than another, it's rulings, not rules. And if you're consistent on your rulings and then everybody's cool with it, then what's the problem? There is none. You're exactly yeah. right. There is none. Um, rulings, not rules. Um, I've lived by that my entire gaming. And that's that's how I met Gary. Right. Yeah. Playing chainmail at my college game club. Something came up. We made a ruling. I got a wild hair. I called director <laughs> assistance long distance, got his number, and called him up on a Saturday evening when it was really, really cheap. On a Saturday evening when it was really, really cheap, we talked an hour and a half, and the rest is history. But it was about, and the first thing he did was go, well, all right, what did you do? He didn't tell me what I should have done. He asked me, what did you do? How did you do it? Mm-hmm. And that's the way Gary always answered those questions. How did you do it? And then you had to learn to interpret his response. Because <laughs> yeah. if he said, well, I might have done it. Well, then you knew, well, maybe it wasn't such a good idea, whatever you came up with. But if he said something like, well, yeah, that's a good way to do it. You yeah. Okay. You made a good rule. You made a good call. Because, you know, I admit, you know, when I first met him, he was, he was until uh, I, till I met him in person, you know, he was, he was a guy that wrote games. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I was an avid, I've been an avid gamer since it's either late 61 or early 62, sixth grade. And so I'm, I've been an avid gamer all that time, and I, here I am actually talking to a guy that did a game, did a bunch of them, actually. So, uh, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it was. But, uh, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't like, go all fanboy all over him, because if I did, he'd, never, I'd, he'd have never talked to me for an hour and a half. Definitely. You know, we found out we liked all the same books, and we read the same historians, and it was just like we were like almost like brothers from different mothers. It was really odd. Two peas in a pod. Yeah, we both were individuals. I don't think we came out of the same pod. That's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Might have come off the same plant, but not out of the same pod. All right, let's uh, move forward a little bit. Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit about Gary Khan. uh, Were you involved with getting that started at all, or how that started? Well, when when Gary passed and they had the informal get-together, um, at after the funeral, I was not able to attend because um, a day or two before the funeral here in Cincinnati, we got walloped with a big snowstorm. Oh, and I was not going to drive up through a heavy snowstorm by myself. Now I have a jeep, mm-hmm. but I still was not going to drive up in a heavy snowstorm by myself. I lived in Wisconsin enough to know that was stupid, <laughs> so I missed that one. But then when it came time to put together a Gary Con, because I'd been going up for a couple of the Lake Geneva gaming conventions that preceded Gary Card in March. And um, um, when, the, when the family contacted me and said they were, you know, going to... Because the trolls, the trolls basically did Lake Geneva game conventions so they could come up and hang out with Gary and promote Gary's newest uh, castles, Agag, or, you know, castle, whatever he was, you know, doing. Um, that was just... You know, it was a great business thing for them, and they had good time, and they spent time with one of their, you know, top guys, and it was just a great time to go up. I, mean, I went to a couple of them, had a great time. Well, the family said, uh, we, we're going to keep doing this. Hmm. Um, and uh, I've made a commitment to the family, and by the family, the, the um, uh, Heidi and Elise and, and um, um, Hmm, no, 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 um, the third daughter, oh, oh she's going to kill me, I'm, I'm having a block. And Luke and Ernie, um, I made a commitment that I would uh, 
Cindy. Cindy. Cindy, yeah. Okay, Cindy. There you go. You got it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uncock the gun, Cindy. Uncock it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, made a co- I made a commitment to them, and I told them, quite frankly, that I would be honored to be a part of it, and I would attend as long as I'm physically able to attend. Um, and I just turned 64. I'm in pretty decent shape, so I'm hoping for several more. I'm hoping to at least make Gary Con 10. That's five years from uh, the one coming up. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I said I would. And again, I said, certainly you can, you know, use my name however you like. Uh, I'm glad to do it because we're getting together to celebrate Gary's life, not to mark his death, but to celebrate his life. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, we, um, they started the, uh, the, the, the legends thing. My car runs his, his, um, uh, he runs his uh, Le Mans, and he runs he runs Fight in the Skies, and uh, Paul Storm. Goodman Games uh, shows up there, don't they? Pardon? Goodman Games they they go up there. Um, they are they they are this year. Um, I believe they were. Um, I met Michael Curtis there last year, but I I couldn't. I don't believe he. Would, I don't know one way or another if he was there on behalf of Goodman Games. I yeah, I, can't I answer that. I know uh, Dave Kenzer and the. The rest of the Kenzer crew, they make it a – that's part of their regular convention circuit thing from now on. I know oh, absolutely. That. Yeah, uh, Dave, Dave and Jolly and uh, are just – yeah, they, they wouldn't think – I believe they would feel the same as I do. Is, yeah. Unless there's a really compelling reason, they'll be there. Yeah, they're, they're a great bunch of guys. I've, they I've are. Been for a number of years, and I've always enjoyed uh, you know being around them and doing stuff for them too. So. Well, I it was funny. Uh, last year was the first time Jolly and I actually got time to sit down and talk to each other for more than, you know, four minutes, one of us sitting, one of us standing at the booth. And we later found out that we did a double geek out. Was, <laughs> oh, really? He was geeking as much as I was at meeting each other because wow. he, he later told me that he had modeled Shadis Magazine after my adventure gaming. Oh, and he wow. told me how they used to drive 50, 60 miles every month to the nearest hobby shop that carried it. And I was like, very like, whoa, this is just too cool because here I am. I'm talking to the guy that does the nights at the dinner table. How yeah. cool is this? You know? <laughs> so we had, a, we had a duplicate geek out moment and we laughed about it afterwards. <laughs> and uh, we, we yeah we share a few interests. It's kind of fun. I always look forward to him, and we correspond on Facebook back and forth and out again. That's awesome. Well, see, I'm still catching up on the nights. I didn't know anything about the nights for a long time because, like yeah. I said, I stayed out of gaming. One yeah. of the things I really enjoy, I don't know if they do it at GaryCon, but I know they do it at Origins and Gen Con, is the live readings. Oh, <laughs> nights at the dinner table live readings are a riot. I don't think they've ever done that. Well, I've not seen them do that at Gary Con. But then I am so busy at Gary Con. This year I'm running three adventures, three adventures, uh, the Circus Maximus Finals, mm-hmm. and a classic warfare miniatures game under the Legends banner thing of the Legend, you know, because that's Gary's miniatures rules, and I actually edited them. Um, so. Um, and then I'm doing uh, what I'm calling the shake the hat game. Uh-huh. Okay. Last year they came up to me and wanted to know if I'd, uh, during the middle of the auction, a person who shall remain nameless 
came up to me and said something about what about the uh, the uh, the the exclusive game? And well, months before somebody had come up with this idea, and I, and I had not responded to it about auctioning off uh, a game with so and so, a game with so and so for you and six of your friends, you know, this type of thing. Right. And I said, oh, no way I'm doing a game tomorrow on Sunday. And you never followed up on that. I didn't bring anything for something like that. So what I did is I whipped off my black fedora, <laughs> my treasured black fedora, which was actually getting rather old and shapeless, to be honest. But um, I love that hat. I whipped it off in the middle of the auction. I said, okay, and now the next item is this hat. <laughs> okay, we're going to auction this hat for charity. And what this hat will get you is you bring it to the table. And you summon me by shaking this hat three times over the table saying my name. I will arrive with a custom adventure for you and six of your friends next year. Yeah. And it went for a couple, 300 bucks. Wow. And then the guy offered to give me the hat back. I said, no, my wife's going to be delighted that she finally got that one off my hat. <laughs> you know? So uh, I've got this game. And what I'm going to do there is uh, first, I'm going to actually, um, I don't play in three dimensions. I don't even play with miniatures. Now, I'm one of the cons, and people want to have miniatures for their own play. That's fine. If they need that spatial reference, I never had them because there weren't fantasy miniatures when we started playing. And, you know, you right. bought plastic bugs <laughs> at yeah. the dime store. Um, so I'm going to do an above-ground, three-dimensional. I found this plaster castle. Oh. It's about, I don't know, mm, 15, 20 millimeter scale. I'm not sure exactly. Right. Um, but uh, I had wrapped it in, in newspaper and put it away in 1982. And I only have two towers. I don't have a whole castle, but I have parts of it. And so I decided that I'm going to stick all these on a three by four plywood board and go out and get some gravel that looks like it could, you know, make a ruined castle. And then I'll donate that when the thing's all over to the, the charity auction. Uh, they, they, they can have, you know, whoever wants it can have the castle. And uh, I'm going to print up a little uh, cardboard or cardstock uh, player characters for the players because I'm going to give them pre-gens. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to print them up a little cardstock, uh, you know, set them on those little bases, and uh, we'll do a three-dimensional game. Now, I've never done a three-dimensional game, so uh, we'll – It'll be interesting for me just to see how they handle it because I'm not going to direct them in any way on that. I'm going to watch how they do it as I present them the thing. And then there'll be levels and stuff underneath. Cool. That sounds great. So yeah, it's something new for me. <clears throat> I can experiment on these guys because it's for charity. <laughs> and if they all die, well, it's for a good cause. Hey, you know. <laughs> well, um, somebody's actually making up um, a little something – uh, for me to take to Gary Khan that um, comments on the um, average lethality of my adventures. Oh, interesting. So it's going to be interesting. Um, Jim Ward and I apparently have the worst reputation in all role playing for TPKs. Oh, darn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is something that makes note of that. So it should be interesting. If, if you, you, you'll probably see one online. In fact, there was one, uh, somebody posted it on my Facebook page last week. Oh. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's my caricature in the wizard outfit. 
mm-hmm. cartoon, you know, the cartoon of me and the wizard outfit. And it says, uh, I went to Gary Con and all I got was TPK by Tim Cast. Oh, <laughs> oh, I, I think did I see saw that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Jim Wampler gave him some art, and he's really going to make a bunch of those up and give them to me so I can, if I kill a party, they get one. Awesome. <laughs> dated. So if I don't kill a whole party, you know, then I don't have to give them away this year. <laughs> uh, it seems like I'm, I'm just the opposite, it seems like. I, my, my group oh, seems as the, uh, oh. You know, no, you you what? You never kill players at a con? Oh no, I have. I've done TPKs, but just my regular gaming group. It oh, seems what? like they have they have this way of just breaking the adventure. <laughs> I, I believe I believe that's that's really what attracted me in the first place. It made me stay with role playing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because um, I played two very brief adventures at Gen Con seventy four. And bought a box and took it home and infected my gaming group. <laughs> and um, two of the things that turned me on about role-playing is the fact that the six players that you're playing with for a few weeks all of a sudden are coming at you from nine different directions. Yeah. The group mind uh, multiplies, uh, not arithmetically, but almost geometrically. And the fact is that nothing you can do can't be broken. That's a and fact. If I can you agree play- to that. If you play loose enough rules, that doesn't matter. Uh, if you're stuck with something like AD&D that is, you know, more rules dependent, particularly those awful later editions. Um, now, if you're talking 1E, depending upon your DM, you know, it's still a game that has a lot of flex in it. But if you're doing OD&D, let them try to break it. It'll yeah, just yeah. fuse together somewhere else. Um mm-hmm. I, I do I do do an act of hubris every once in a while at a con. I trick a group into thinking that they're running an adventure that I wrote, and actually we're making it up as we go along. There's nothing behind my screen, and they're writing the story. I give them I give them the I start them. I put them in the starting line. Here's the situation. You're in deep do. You got to fix it. Go. And they have this enormous city, and then what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? By the time I get around to the other side of the table, I give them answers. Well, you didn't find this out. Well, you you heard about this. Um, you heard about going somewhere, you know. And then where do they take those clues? <laughs> and we write the adventure as we go. I've done that in two cons, flipped the thing over, and they saw nothing behind there but my dice, and they flipped out. <laughs> but that's the beauty of old school. Just go with yeah. the flow. That's why it's so great. That's why it's so great. You know, I don't need a chart to tell me whether or not you can clean your toenails without stabbing yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope hope so. (laughs) Do you need need a skill for a pedicure? Uh, I think that may be one of the only ones I haven't heard of. (laughs) An ability for pedicure? Painting toenails maybe, plus maybe two. Maybe executed the offer to uh, bear the uh, ogre's toenails down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that's typical of some of the silliness in the uh, the high rule-bound uh, later editions. Nick, you have any questions about GaryCon? Um, nothing else about GaryCon as far as I can think of. I, I do have a question. I think, weren't you involved with the first Gen Con as well? No. Oh, I no, thought you were. No, no, no. My car was. My car oh. is to every single 
Gen Con, including yeah. the very first one on Gary's back porch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he told me that in an interview, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, you need to talk to Mike. He's an interesting guy. I still feel, all these years later, that nobody has done World War I flying better than Fight in the Skies. And the, I have played a lot of flying games. I still don't think anybody has done any better. I think Wings of War came close because of their movement cards that took out the argument of movement. But, I, you know, Mike's, Mike's fight in the skies is, good Lord, and that's over 40 years. I think it's close to 40 years old. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. over 40 years old because he designed that as a kid in high school. I have the utmost respect for Mike's design capabilities. When I found out how young he was when he made that game, and I love that game. I still play it. I still have my hand-painted count. My, we used to take the cardboard counters and paint them. <laughs> I gave a bunch of them to Mike. He told me at a con last year and the year before he still had them all. Wow. 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 That's pretty cool. It is. He gave he gave a really good really? an interesting interview on Save or Die when I did it uh, about a year or so ago. So if anyone's listening out there, just go to saveordie.info and you can find the Mike Carr interview we did. No, you do you do multiple uh, blog, uh, podcasts, Steve. I, I did I, it one, at one time, yeah, and I just do this one now. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. What else you want to know? <laughs> yeah, that, you, that pretty you, much takes care of Eldritch and Gary Con. Now you want to talk about the magazine? Sure. I know Jason's hoping I will. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we know. You think? <laughs> I think yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I interviewed you uh, maybe two years ago on Save or Die. Yeah, with Mike with, and Liz. Yeah, yeah. You when, did. when you yeah. you were asking, you were answering the questions and telling yourself the questions at the same time. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. You're like, okay, my next question is, we're like, okay, you can ask the question. <laughs> well, at that point in time, it had gotten to be a cliche. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wanted to know the same, and you know, when when this is how naive I was. Mm -hmm. Um. When Frank brought me back to Gen Con auction in 2006, if you've ever seen Frank do the auction, you know how he can drag stuff out. Well, yes, he, I've seen. <laughs> when he introduced me, he started talking about this mystery new celebrity auctioneer thing, and I am just cringing off stage, <laughs> just cringing. All day that day, when I'd walk through the dealer's area, I'd had my name tag turned over. Because yeah. I wasn't even too cool if I was too cool about being back in, in gaming and stuff. Okay? Because I've been out of it for over 20 years, you know? Right. And I, I'm, and I, I, I naively thought that nobody had any idea who, who I was. And because, um, again, I'd been away. I had, I had no idea. I, I, I peripherally saw, you know, I knew there was a and d cartoon, but I didn't let my kids watch it. <laughs> Well, I don't think, I think it was during my daughter's time. She wouldn't, have, she was probably watching Ponies and Smurfs, <laughs> uh, you know. But um, he goes on and on, and then he introduces me and motions me up on the stage. And my golly, five, six hundred people I'd never seen before gave me a standing ovation. And, and I looked at him and I said, you know, under, behind the mic, so to speak, I said, geez, you know, whoa. I, I just, 
this is just because I'm not dead? This is amazing. Because I hadn't done anything in 22 years. And there's all these people standing up, and it just completely choked me up. And uh, It's amazing thought, how stuff like that, how helps. much it influences and impacts people. Well, and what people know is Dragon Magazine, and I'm, I'm damn proud of starting Dragon Magazine. Um, and what I've heard in recent years is that when it was still under my philosophy, which I shared with Gary from the very beginning, that we talk about everybody's stuff all the time, the rising tide lifts all boats. Um, when, 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 when we were doing that, apparently is when people have the fondest memories of the magazine. And I, I'm, I'm told repeatedly how it went downhill to the point where it almost became a monthly supplement because mm. everything in it was official. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't run this game if I had to go out and learn new rules every month just to keep going. Yeah. There's, there's, there's another magazine out there like that. White Dwarf, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I'm not, I'm, to, be, to be frank, I'm no more impressed with White Dwarf now than I was when it first started. But they seem to be doing well. Yeah. Who puts them out? I don't Games know. Workshop. Yeah, oh yeah, the evil yeah. overlords. The, the people that are now trying to claim that no one can use the word space marine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> novel that was taken down by the buffoons on Amazon. It's back up. Her proceeds went to the Wounded Warrior Project, and now she can no longer sell it. It's back up. Oh, did it go up today? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'm kind of glad because I posted that. I I went all over Facebook. Stir, I, I, I like to think sometimes I have a long spoon. Mm. I can stir things up. And uh, I stirred up a lot of, uh, I, I reposted that one link on seven different pages. And then I realized the mistake because the next time I looked at my notifications, I had 73. You know, I think even Jolly did kind of a little little yes. thing. Oh. I saw he did that. Yeah, lots of people um, shared it after I used it, and it was it was all over the place. Um, and I had to block several of the threads because I was just getting too many notifications. I couldn't handle them all. Wow. It was amazing. So uh, that was fun. But anyway... <laughs> Um, where were we? Gen Con. Why I got back into gaming. Um, well, Dragon's Foot asked me to do a thread. And that's I'm coming back to why I was answering my own questions. Uh, <laughs> um, Dragon's Foot asked me to do a thread, and Frank encouraged me to do it. And uh, Frank gave me a lot of encouragement in those first couple of years about, you know, building my brand and getting it active and involved again and, you know, dusting cobwebs off my brain. And um, I, I laughingly thought, yeah, okay, this will last six months. <laughs> yeah, right. Here I am yeah, still. Yeah. Famous okay. last words. <laughs> uh, hundred and some pages later. <laughs> yeah. That's still going strong. <laughs> well, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, some of my old pages, apparently something happened to some of my pages because either they've shelved some of them or whatever, but the count dropped. But it's okay because uh, a person I didn't even know one day wrote me an email and said, how would you like me to index your web, your uh, thread? I said, 
Wow. Sure, I'm broke. Oh, no. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so the guy does it for a hobby, and he indexed 120 pages of my thread. Holy moly. Yeah. I got half a book in there. Because everybody wanted to know the same things. What was it like back then? What about Blackmore? How was Gary to work with? How was the dragon? You know, everybody, and, and that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm not belittling that because I know it's important. I know it's the foundations of, you know, what I now see, you know, right, has right. thrown into something huge. And that is and so, a good point because I also, again, looking at it from a historical perspective, because, you know, we do interviews with, with, you, with you, Tim, and Frank, and all the other folks. It's like, I think it's, it's important that we, got, we have to remember where this, this hobby came from remember how it began you know the, the progression of things and I think we have to record that in a certain way or another and like recording that those that that thread of yours and how it's been archived and indexed that's all important that's all historical information there I just gotten approached by a museum in New York that they, they do archive projects and they, I, from what I can make out I haven't responded yet from what I can make out, they'd like a bunch of drafts, and they, they, they'd like to archive how one of my adventures got to print. Oh. They want to know the process. Well, but they also want to archive. They want, they want the files and stuff. Oh, wow. They want to, what they collect, they've got a grant. And like I said, I'm... I have, I've asked a couple of people uh, out on the East to check this place out to see if they're, you know, real. Because uh, mm-hmm. it, it sounds a little odd. But um, I'm, I'm considering, um, because there are a few of my adventures that I probably could put together drafts at different stages. And the ones I did with Celtic Studios before Eldritch, I have uh, those, most of those. I, I have at least one of all of those that I printed on my own printer and punched out and bound myself, you know, that type of thing. So that might be interesting because uh, I could then put an Eldritch product at the end because Snake Riders started in a much larger adventure that I wrote for Texas. And um, Weaver was also written for a Texas uh, con, as it so happens. Um, Again, out of the larger uh, venue of the desert uh, of my world. So uh, that that's kind of weird. Um, I, I sometimes find it um, gratifying and humbling. Uh, last year, I sold a TSR belt buckle that was mint, granted, because I'd brought it home all those years ago, wrapped it in a sock, and put it in my wife's cedar chest and forgotten about it until I found it. And I couldn't believe that a man paid $650. Wow. wow. Belt buckle because it was mine. It's very humbling, mm-hmm. very gratifying, but I, I don't pretend to understand it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled by it, though. And when people stop me in the halls at Gen Con or Texas or whatever and thank me for the, the trouble they stayed out of when they were 17 or 18 or whatever or the pursuits that I gave them that, that opened, expanded <laughs> their minds to become writers or... Um, I, a couple of years ago at Gen Con, this, this gentleman that's, well, he was maybe eight years my junior, nine years my junior, 
And uh, he told me about how he and his two brothers had stayed out of trouble f- through all their high school summer. And he was a circuit, he was a district, U.S. District Court judge. And wow. I said, well, I guess we didn't do good, good a job of ruining you, did we? <laughs> well, I because cannot... people, you know, we, we got that in the game. We were ruining the youth of America with black magic and devil yeah. worship. Oh, I remember that whole thing in the, you know, the early 80s with that, too. And Oh, it started before the early 80s. Yeah, that's, that's when I kind of got into the whole scene. But it's but, like. <laughs> yeah, you you know you you bore the brunt of that. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I've got an anecdote. Um, there were several game burnings, and they were primarily fundamentalist. Uh, what well, we yeah, yeah. say fundamentalists or splinter church groups. <laughs> well, anecdotally, I heard several years later by somebody who was a kid and saw it happen that this one group had piled all these games and whatever in a pile on their asphalt parking lot. And somebody had gone and gotten his boss's bulldozer to drive over them and crush them, you know, while they, I don't know, where they're burning. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. Oh, but apparently in their zeal, the guy just tore the parking lot to shreds. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> nice. I thought, oh, he deserved it. What a fool. What a fool. And when I was asked, uh, when I decided to go back to teaching and get my master's in education at a somewhat advanced age, I was asked... I, People would ask me, well, whatever made you want to go back into teaching? And I'd look them dead in the eye, deadpan. Well, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I was accused of ruining an entire generation of Americans with devil worship and Satanism and dragons and magic. I believe now, though, that I could do it much better 30 at a time for an hour. <laughs> I'd wait. I'd wait for and if, if if it didn't, you know, then I would <laughs> I would laugh, you know, to let them know I was pulling their leg. But I oh, <laughs> looks I got on the faces were priceless. Oh my God, some of them just priceless. Shaping young minds <laughs> since 1980 with black magic, huh, Tim? Oh no, since 1975. 1975, excuse me. Yes, <laughs> five years. If you're going to cut those off, I I want to be 59 and not 64. <laughs> <laughs> I want those five years back. I could use them, probably. Oh, so, boy. Uh, Gygax Magazine. Yes, Gygax Magazine. You, yeah, what do you see in the future there for, for Gygax Magazine and your crystal ball? Have you seen your copies yet? I have my I have, copy, yes. I am waiting patiently. What do you think about it? Tell me. Oh, I was saying think about it. I was waiting for you to think, have me something to think about. No, what do you think about your, the magazine? You have yours. Yeah, what I do you have. Think about it? I mean, yeah, Vince has this. I haven't got mine yet. I've enjoyed every every aspect of it. The only major complaint I've had about this is the binding, and that's about it. I don't okay. know if maybe I, my copy has a bad binding or not. I don't know. Well, uh, I I haven't heard that yet, but I'll file that, and if I start hearing these, we'll we'll cert- I'll certainly pass it on to Jason. It's not it's, like it's falling apart. It's just it's not flat like a magazine. It kind of. Well, yeah, I, I we've we've discussed saddle stitching and yeah. this type, and right now this type is considerably more affordable. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, this first mission was put out entirely out of Jason's pocket. Yeah, yeah, real wow. Every time that. Now we did get all the artists and authors to donate mm-hmm. you know, to give us what they gave us for nothing, um, and we did reach out to certain advertisers and say, um, would you, you know, could we 
give us an ad, we won't charge you. Because the original intent, we were going to produce this entire thing basically in secret and come out with it like Aphrodite springing out of Zeus's forehead or did I mix my mythologies there? Um, no, they're both Greek. No, they're both Greek, yeah. <laughs> because you can't get a distributor on a pro- prospectus. You can't get advertisers on a plan. This is you know this is Jason's thinking, and I wholeheartedly uh, believe he's right. So he was putting this together, and it got leaked. But because um, he leaked it, that's why. <laughs> I think he leaked it on his own. So no, no, we did not. Believe me, we we were we had we had we had a we've had a Facebook page since last summer, but only six of us can access it. Okay, we were doing everything we could, and we, I, I, I was not involved in releasing the advertising prospectus, so I don't know why we did, or, or if you know, good, bad, indifferent, it happened. It is what it is. We, it uh, we, bugs. we actually figured out the whole TSR thing like last year when we were having a conversation online, and we were looking up the trademark, and we saw that Jason bought the tra- trademark for it. Mm-hmm. So we, oh, we, we worked our way from there with Jason. He's like, "Oh, you figured it out." Yep, yeah, big like, boo like Something was up, but we didn't know exactly what. Yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 if you followed In World before they got hacked and went offline, there was lots of uh, re- resistance from certain quarters. Oh yeah. Uh, to uh, what we were doing and what we were calling it. And, you know, you don't have a few naysayers, but you can't please everybody, right? Exactly, and um, you know, again, it is what it is. Um, the the when we spoke earlier about uh, the joy of sitting down with a new magazine and and reading it from front to back, mm-hmm. we don't dilute that, which was why every month the PDF will come out after yes the yeah. typical copy. I like that. We want we don't we want you to see it first time flipping through the pages. Whether that means you're looking at the table of contents, running to the back to the comics, uh, looking to see what I'm talking about this month, um, you, you looking flipping through the ads for the you know the new ogre tr- figures you're looking whatever, we want it to be physical. We want you to smell the paper. Oh, I love the paper. You yeah. smell the ink nowadays. But you can smell the paper. I, the first I, thing I did, Tim, when I opened this up was flip right to the comics in the back because I you know order the stick and you fill in Dixie. Dude, that's I used, right. You got Phil and Dixie in there. I used to flip to Wormy and Phineas, yeah. even though uh, I still wanted to see how they came out. And then you got the two-page spread of Marvin the Mage. I was like, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Marvin I think we have was a, great, was a favorite. We have we have some great we have some great talent uh, committed. We have even greater artists lined up. Literally, uh, I mean, we're only doing four a year, so you can only have four covers a year. And if I drop some of the names that have said they'd sure they'd like to do a cover, your jaws had hit their desk. <laughs> uh, so um, I'm very, uh, very um, encouraged by the art. Jim Wampler has done a magnificent job of lining up art and artists. Um, we have a very unusual re- uh, requirement for our art. It's not electronic. There has to be a real hard copy somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah, Jason, Jason mentioned that. that. Yes. Well... It's old school, but it's also going to look better, With I think. Mm-hmm. I think it is, because that's the look we're looking for. No, First no. thing my wife said when our copy came, when my copy came, yeah. huh? 
this looks like your old dragon. I said, yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. We were, you know, Jason, it's Jason's homage to the old days, you know, the days of the early days of the dragon. And I'm gratified and, and uh, grateful for that. I think I, that's one of the real neat things about this is like the, the, the layout, the format reflects that, you know, old school look. But yet it's inclusive to everything that's happening today. Well, now, I will say this. We're a little more RPG heavy this first issue than I would like, and we are striving to cover the entire market. But when you're asking for articles, you go to the people you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got some great stuff. Don't, don't, don't take it any other way. I mean, I'm tickled to death to, uh, um, to see some of the people we got in there. I, I love to see uh, Lenny uh, Lakofka's stuff again. Mm-hmm. I love to see it. I see he has not mellowed much with age. <laughs> if anything, he's taking lessons from me and becoming more of a curmudgeon. Oh, he's got uh, a great, uh, a great article here. And um, we've got, well, just to give you an idea, um, we we recognize the fact that there are three, basically three distinct fields of gaming, RPGs, boards, and minis. And we recognize the fact that they overlap. Mm-hmm. For instance, I'm doing a, I'm doing a feature article on Samurai Battles, yes, which yes. is a miniatures, plastic, toy so beautiful plastic soldiers on a board game board. Very miniatures feel, but very abstracted. Beautiful game. It uses the commands and colors system that's already in Ancients and Memoir Forty Four. Richard Borg has done it again. So okay. We're hitting two of the bases right there. Beautiful little lovely figures that are real, relatively inexpensive in a board game that's real fun and easy to play. And you can play a scenario once you know the rules in about 60 to 90 minutes. Beautiful game. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, when minis and RPGs wrap in together, it's, you know, there's things there. We're looking at the at the wrap over from boards um, to minis. Um as well, you know, like uh, uh, flames, flames of war. Um, those these types of things. We're looking at family games. Um, my column, still gaming after all these years, or still playing after all these years. Um, I'm going to talk about um, specifically gaming with young young kids, not war gaming, just gaming gaming, um, and uh, a program that I'm trying to get established here at my local library, and then hopefully onto the county system of um, playing games with kids because there are studies, Stanford, Brigham Young, uh, studies that uh, games give kids social skills. They help teach uh, 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 advanced reasoning skills. You don't think about it. I didn't really think about it until I was back uh, studying for my master's. But a game as simple as sorry. sorry. You got three pawns out, you draw a six. By counting out where each of the three pawns go and taking the best move, that's something we as adults take for granted. But when you see kids do it, you realize that they're starting to think cognitively, cognitive reasoning. Problem solving. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, my, my two youngest grandchildren learned to add with dice, mm-hmm. playing games with grandpa. They both became better readers so that they could read the cards themselves. I saw when I did this back in November at the library with a bunch of kids, I saw an eight-year-old girl trying to read the cards on... Uh, uh, Corey's um, uh, Adventurers card game. And they're, and they're not easy to read, but she was determined to try. 
And uh, when I started helping her, she, she just, oh, wow. Now she, she really wanted to read those cards. Um, so uh, I'm talking about playing games with your kids, not to make them war gamers, but for what they, they do better in school. Mm-hmm. Study, they do better in school. They learn school. One of the things that Gary and I sat and discussed in 77 or 78, when D&D was really starting to boom, we sat in his uh, office one day. And the topic, I don't know, we were just having an end-of-the-weekend session of you know, BSing. But we came to the realization that one of the neatest things that had happened was that we gave socially inept people a means of socializing. Yes. Yeah. Because it was the eggheads, the brains, which was what they were called then, now geeks, nerds, whatever, tend to be loners or tend to socialize only with one or two others. And they, you know, they tend they just to fact of you know percentages they tend to be less social but that we had given them uh, ways to be social how we taught them how to cooperate in a group but natural leaders had come to the fore never before discovered leadership talents had a chance to shine so yeah three years into it four years into it we kind of knew what might come of it and it was starting to come of it but there again if you if you just said then that what was going to be like five years later we said yeah right i hope that'd be nice and it, so. i definitely enjoy the picture in your article in the magazine the uh, picture of you behind the dm screen crafting away there i loved it so much that i decided i'm going to make it my my column art oh that'd be oh. awesome in the next issue on th- issue number three um years ago i made up a set of uh, miniatures rules to use all those lovely little plastic ships that used to come in bubblegum packs and you snapped them together. Yes. Yeah. And the, I taught them, in fact, my youngest grandson, that's what he cut his teeth on as a gamer. Miniatures. Plastic miniatures, but miniatures. And uh, he loved it. Loved it. Oh, come on, Grandpa, let's play ships. Let's play ships. So I decided to do one step up from what came with it. You know, one die, two die cannon, whatever. I would call them chainmail simplicity. Mm-hmm. Okay? Not War Games Research Group, chainmail. And I tried to market them, and uh, it sat in somebody's limbo for a long time. And then, lo and behold, several of the concepts that I had thought of showed up in their new packs. But eh, that's another story. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're real simple, fun rules. I got boarding parties. Uh, Vikings tying their ships together, um, just you know, fun, simple. You, so many of us. I have two storage tubs full of assembled ones. I haven't bought any of these, by the way, because a friend of my son's mom worked at Whiz Kids. I have entire sets that are shrink wrapped, not in packages, just the cards. <laughs> I mean, I have hundreds of these things. And I thought, well, there's got to be other people who has at least dozens of them. Oh, I got a whole box of them too. I, my friend Jeff and I, we we occasionally uh, will play that, and it's it's a fun game. Don't it get is. me wrong, it's because it's, it's a great game. That's like you could almost do like a pickup game with it almost anywhere. Well, yeah, it's so simple, so fast. Um, pardon me, I I was getting away from my. I, I'm going to make you drool if you've got these. I have the Pirates of the Cursed Sea 
scavenger pack with the special side wheeler that comes assembled with 11 ships, um, 11 more ships in the box. Nice. Yeah, I have, um, let's see, what's this? Do you have that huge Chinese junk? Oh, Pirates of the Frozen North, no, what's this? I got the one huge Chinese junk, and I also have, uh, I have the Santa Claus ship. Oh, you do. I don't know if I have that. I probably do, and I've never seen it because I have a cardboard box here of stuff that I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, unassembled. <laughs> yeah, the Santa Claus ship is cool. He doesn't shoot uh, cannonballs at the uh, at the opponents. He shoots treasure into your hold, and you go away. <laughs> I don't know if I have that or not. I, I don't know. Was it? Did it come pre-assembled? Um, no, it did not. It did not come pre-assembled. I just remember going to a game store here where I live, and I and I was looking at all their, their the one ships for for pirates, and I'm like, what? Is, what is that? <laughs> he was like, yeah, this is the ship for Santa Claus. I'm like, oh, I gotta get that. <laughs> yeah, I've got. I don't know. I've got whole sets that are still shrink wrapped. Wow. Uh, that is a it, fun game, though. I, it, I remember when I, I just took it up playing a, that. I just took it up a notch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, we're going to publish those in number three. Oh, awesome. awesome. So, um, you know, what to do with all those ships you still got sitting around. And it's fun and it's simple. And if, you got, you're, if you're already playing the rules with your kids, this is an easy step up. Yeah. yeah. And you can step up in stages. I put down real simple stuff like turning with the wind and turning into the wind, you know, because there are no wind rules in the game. That's true. Well, it's real simple. I'm printing a compass rose, the uh, diagram that shows you. And so all you do is determine the wind at the beginning of the game. No stealing the wind gauge. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a question about the magazine. It just popped into my head. It's like, now that you know the first issue of Gygax magazine is out, and the the, the overwhelming response, positive response, there has been. Um, in the future, is could this go beyond maybe a quarterly? That's one of the questions. Think? Yeah, um, it would be my hope that by the time we're getting ready for four, and no later than five, our advertising base will support either. Well, I'd like to do incremental size increases. We're at 64 now. I'd like to go to uh, 80. Mm-hmm. And that will only happen if the advertising base supports it. I believe, without being cocky or anything, I believe that we have a unique platform that people are going to, you know, pro- producers are going to want to be in. We've already been approached by several. Um, we've been approached by a couple and said, no, 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 you can't have that many pages. <laughs> you do not want anybody to think that we're under anybody's thumb. All right? When we have more ad pages, then you can have another one or whatever. And we've said that to a couple of people um, because we, want, we will fiercely maintain our independence. Fiercely maintain our independence. Good. We have had very positive vibes 
from the industry. Um, we we're, we're, we have no worries about any big game companies coming down and squatting on us because it seems as though everybody's glad to see what we're doing. And as long as we maintain our independence and in so doing provide a balanced magazine about all of gaming, <laughs> then I foresee no problems in the future and I foresee becoming a bi-monthly at some point, maybe a year from now. Mm-hmm. But no, no need to hurry in. No need, you know, there, there's no need yeah, to yeah. get hasty. Let's get the first four done first. That's it. Right. Exactly. Right. We have distribution, both foreign and domestic. We have negotiated better shipping rights for foreign shipping. You know, we had, I did the research prior to release back in October or November on what it would cost. And, and well, actually, it was in November after the brouhaha hit on what it would cost because people were asking me how much to get this to Poland, how much to get this to Brazil. And I, I went online, and the best we could hope for was um, U.S. international priority flat rate, flat envelope. And at the time, it was $16. I know that's a lot of money, but it's the most reliable way we could come up with. Everything else is pretty chancy. And having been in the business twice myself, you have to expect a certain amount of loss each month. It happens. It happens. The bigger you get, the more copies you end up replacing. And you can't tell who write your letter, man, I didn't get number three. Liar. (laughs) You can't do that. <laughs> so, sorry you didn't get it. We sent it. Sorry. And that's all you can do. So, um, you know, advertising will drive size and frequency. But when you start talking about increasing your frequency, your necess- your, your load, your need for material goes up and you don't use, you know, we're, we're working on, we're working on submission guidelines because anybody who knew me back in the early days will tell you my desk was literally six deep always because we got so many unsolicited manuscripts, so much unsolicited art because at the time we were the only game in town. Yeah. Yeah. we now find ourselves the only domestic game in town. So I, I have been, this is one of my very firm, adamant uh, uh, advice has been submit guidelines. If they can't give us a two-page press and improve, impress us with what they want to do, we don't want to read their 17-page opus full of spelling errors. <laughs> yeah. Found some good writers back in the day. I found some good artists. In fact, I was going through some stuff, and I found seven old original Dean Morrissey black and white ink drawings on vellum. Ooh. Yeah, and I tried to get a hold of Nick or um, uh, or more Dean rather, and I sent him emails telling him I had them, and I'd just as soon give them to him that do anything else with them, but I couldn't destroy them, and I've never heard from him. 
Well, they're not nearly as good as what he did later. I was very, you know, we were able to discover new talent. We found some new talent, this issue already, and Jim has found more. Um, that's one of the neat things about doing this is you get to give good talent an outlet. And as long as they do something that fits your needs as the magazine, yeah, come on board. Mm-hmm. So looking at balance, uh, we're looking at doing more than one issue at a time. Because uh, we, 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 don't, we, we recognize that RPGs are the dominant portion of the industry, but we will do ourselves no good by only catering to that portion of the market. And I do not believe, personally, that people that play RPGs don't play board games and don't minis. Some of them do both, some of them do one, some of them do the other, but I just do not believe that that many people only RPG. And maybe if they do, We'll convert them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think I've been a gamer in my whole time that they haven't yeah. done something besides role-playing and done board games, wargaming, card-collecting games, you name it. Started with board games in grade school, discovered miniatures in college, and, of course, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much cross-pollinization between all the different types. I mean, mm. we're all gamers here, so it's like... <laughs> This is different types of games to play. <laughs> we were talking about earlier about the later players going, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Mm-hmm. The thing that people don't realize, and it's, it's okay if they're not old enough, um, is that the brown box was written for miniatures players. Right. Yes, there were a lot of things that were understood by miniatures players. Um, by the time I got there, we recognized that we were starting to go farther afield than just miniatures players. So we started writing the stuff differently. We tried to start codifying it. Um, we started supplementing it in specific directions to fill out the the array of uh, places we wanted it to go, so to speak. Um, it was for minis guys. And... Even us minis guys had trouble with it. <laughs> if you have not read Ron's book, Gaming at the World, you must. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm John Peter- Peterson. Gaming at the World. Hmm. I'll look that one up. Yeah. 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 I believe his last name's Peterson. I'm embarrassed now, and his, his book's too far away on the other side of the basement for me to read with glasses. <laughs> um, but um, it is the... Best book I've ever read about games and gaming. Not the personalities that play, but the history of games. From the Kriegspiel, the parlor stuff that the rich guys had, right up to um, the minis groups of the 60s and how D&D evolved. Um, Excellent, excellent book. I recommend it highly enough. Gaming Um, World, you said? Gaming. At the world. Gaming of the world. Okay. Excellent book. I was worried because when I met the author last year at a, uh, a dinner that a, a group was having and he wouldn't take my money because I had meant to send, tell, you know, ask him to bring one and I'd forgotten and he wouldn't take my money. And I said, why not? And he says, because you haven't read it yet. I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> and then I found out I'm cited, oh, bunches, dozens of times in there. And 
I can honestly say that there are, to my knowledge, from my point of where I came into the history of it, there are no major errors of fact whatsoever in the book. I may not disagree, I may not agree with a couple of his interpretations or his summations, but the man is an absolutely meticulous researcher, and you will learn more about where role playing came from than you ever knew before because I did and I was there at the beginning and I still learn more. Wow, wow. I gotta get this book. It sounds fascinating. So, yeah. Well, John gives me a big kiss for this book I just gave him. If I could only remember his last name. Neither one of you has got a smartphone there you can look that up. I was just I'm, looking it up on uh, on Amazon to see if I could find it but I was unable to find it. I don't know, Nick, can you find it anywhere? Uh, gaming at the world? Playing at the world. Let me run over and grab mine. Yeah, go ahead. Playing at the world. Playing at the world. Yeah, I, I couldn't find it when I was looking for it. Yes. Playing at the world. A hit of simulating uh, war. Here it is. Fantastic Adventures from Chess to Role-Playing Games by John Peterson. It's published by... Found it. Reason Prep. You found it. Yeah. I don't know what it'll cost you, but it'll be the best read you'll ever have in gaming, about gaming. It's uh, on Amazon. It is rated five stars out of 16 reviews. It is going for brand new $30.18. Well, I'm glad he didn't take my money. <laughs> you can... I was only it for twenty, so uh, the advanced copies went for twenty. But now, you know, John, now I see the cover. I think I heard about this book, Nick. Guys, get him. You need to get this book. Read it. That'll take some time yeah. because it's a monster. Uh, well, not counting the. Wow. Well, counting the index, it's uh, almost seven hundred pages. Yeah, yeah, seven hundred twenty pages. It says. Wow. Okay. okay, that's a different binding than I have. I have the first binding then, because mine has 696. So he, I, it went into another print. It should have. It deserves to. Yeah, and then read it, and then get him on here. Not a bad uh, idea. Get him on here lots longer than I've been jabbering tonight. <laughs> you do a whole series with John. Wow. Yeah, we'll see if we can try to drop him a line if we can get a hold of him somewhere. That'd be great. Well, I fail. Vince, you let me know, and I'll put you two in touch. Oh, definitely. We'll talk after the show. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can probably open up my email without cutting the connection. (laughs) As long as it doesn't take any brains, I'm okay. So we do have some questions from fans on the Facebook here. Hey, I have no idea how you're going to edit this down. Good Lord. <laughs> We're going to keep you know, it Our as people is. love the long shows. Yeah. So. And they're going to love this one tonight. They might not like the, me, but that, they'll love the show for its length. Okay, <laughs> questions from the audience. Uh, Mark, CMG, on Facebook. Oh, yes. He wants to know what your favorite George Carlin bit is. You know, there was. Keep in mind that this is a a, a kid friendly show. (laughs) There was actually a time that 
I I I knew his. I had his all of his albums as they came out. Class Clown, which is probably my favorite album, because we both went to Catholic school and it sounded like we suffered the bit same torment. Um, I had listened to his stuff so much I didn't know it. But people now tell me every once in a while when I, well, like I was at a party last year at TotalCon. And I started telling a story, and I was halfway through, and somebody said, you just switched on George Carlin. And I said, oh, <laughs> it happens. I was a huge fan of his. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 we, we're going to miss his uh, oh, yeah. poking the fanny every once in a while, poking yeah. the eye. I remember getting for, I think, my what folks got me for my 11th or 12th birthday, his uh, comedy album, A Place for My Stuff. Well, that... Um, the very first time I saw him now, this will date me badly, might have been Jack Parr when he oh, had the no. t- Tonight Show. Um, it wasn't Steve Allen, but he did. George Carlin was completely different. He went hippie. Before yeah, yeah. that, he was slick suits, slick back hair. He did a thing called the Hippie Dippy Weatherman. I remember that, seeing that, yeah. Okay, that's where he started switching personalities was when he was doing that. And I saw him do that on The Tonight Show, and he blew me away. And then when he started coming out with albums in the 70s, I was his prime market, and I had them all. Mm-hmm. Loved him. All right, next question from the viewers. Okay. <laughs> next question from the viewers. From the viewers. This one comes up from Dale McCoy. He wants to know, what games have you played lately, and what games do you want to play but simply do not have the time for? Question. I have been playing a lot of Samurai Battles. I say a lot. Don and I are able to get together every other week because we're both busy, but Don's a member of my real old game group from the very beginning back here in Cincinnati. Samurai Battles. I highly recommend it. Um, the one I want to play and haven't had time yet is Mice and Mystics from Plat Hat Games. I'm fascinated by the game. I'm fascinated by its structure. It's, it plays out, and they call them chapters, but they're really little mini-scenarios. Um, it's got neat little mouse pieces. <laughs> it sounds kind of like, um, like uh, what's that one book series? Uh... Mouse Guard? Yeah. No. It kind of no. sounds like that or like Secret and Nim kind of thing. Sounds really well, interesting. Well, no, actually, from what I've seen, there's five or six personas. You You play one of them, and each of them has a different skill or ability. And then you have, like, missions, and some of them take place in the pipes of the sewers. So you're running around in all these sewer pipes doing things. Again, I've just I've only been able to dip into it a little bit. I'm fascinated by it. Then I have two Viking games that I haven't been able to play enough yet. Um, Sword and Fire and the Vikings. Or Vikings. Yeah. I have two Viking games that I have not been able to play yet, but I want to. I always have board games I want to play and can't. Always. I say I'll never buy another one until I've played all the way. And that never happens. That's why I got my statistics. <laughs> Next. Okay. Next question. Next. Comes from Montana Cole Squires, and he wants to know, well, he originally wrote how much player death is proper, but he corrected it to say character. So. Uh, yeah, I never kill my players. I just nail characters. Well, to be, to be frank, um, I, I truly do not... 97.25% of the time, I truly do not kill players. Now, that odd little percentage there is a guy 
at the first Gary Khan that was so annoying, I killed him. In, in the course of the adventure, but I just got him the hell out of the, excuse me, I got him out of the ta- away from the table, and after he'd cleared the room, everybody there looked at me and go, wow, thanks. <laughs> um, so I don't normally deliberately kill people. Um, as, as Jim Ward would probably said first, I merely provide them myriad opportunities to kill themselves. In my mm-hmm. own campaign, which we ran briefly here and it's being reformulated and when con season's over, I'll probably start it up again. Um, my own campaign, the only deaths we had were at the end of our break-in period. We had decided that, you know, we're all new group. And so I got out one of my adventures and, um, in fact, it was uh, before I rewrote it, the uh, the Weaver, and um, they died because they did something stupid. And um, when then if you – we were publishing on Facebook Tales from the Back Room at YachtaQuest, and that was an account. It's now on Jim Wampler's website. I would write up the adventure each week, what had happened, how it worked out. He drew up a cartoon to go with it. Um, which is where my caricature came from in the first place. Oh, oh okay. Did that answer the question? Yes. <laughs> okay, the next question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bill Meyer, or Mayor, I think it's Meyer, has en- how have you enjoyed the transition with helping get Gygax Magazine started, and what is your biggest frustration in trying to get the magazine off the ground and running? Well, it's been extremely gratifying knowing that I had a hand in helping Jason shape his vision. Extremely gratifying. Um, and I, and I'm, you know, J- Jason asked me for my opinion, and then he proved to me he valued it. And um, any human being is going to respond in that regard. Um, don't ask me my opinion and then tell me I'm full of it or disregard it. Why did you ask me in the first place? Um, so that's been very gratifying. The response has been gratifying. This week we should start seeing more stuff online, people looking at their magazines, talking about them. Um, the fact that we already have landed a distributor is, is Yahoo time. My greatest frustration, well... I don't. Re- I've not really had one yet. If I had anything to do again, I would have slightly altered the mix in the first one, so we weren't quite so RPG heavy. But that's all. I don't. I don't really. That doesn't even really rate as a frustration. Just kind of a. Well, okay. Next time we'll do it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm. You know. I, people need to realize that. Um, Jason. I don't know if you want to. It was an interview one of you guys did with him, or, but. He he put it well when he said, "I'm just kind of the guy that stands behind his shoulder." Yeah, I think yeah. he credited me with holding a ball bat or something. But <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> he joked about it, but um, I I really I became the the face the voice of the magazine when it all blew up before Thanksgiving. But um, James Carpio is the games editor. I advise him on on how to get a good mix. I just did a uh, Wheel of Fortune type uh, thing I drew up with, with the way I see if we can, you know, hit this percentage, this many slots every issue, we're hitting the market as the market exists. So that's our goal. 
is that certainly it's going to be role-playing heavy. That's the majority of the market. But we also hope that there'll be stuff in there that you'll read uh, about other things that you'll go, oh, cool, maybe I'll try that. Whether it's a game, whether you just decide to sit down with your nieces and your nephews the next time the families can get together and play with them. You know, that's what we want to provide is thinking, not agreement, not slavish devotion, thinking. The thing that I told Jason, and I believe he shares with me, I was asked, oh, about the third year of the dragon, somebody made some comment about, well, yeah, you're, you got X number of people to do whatever you tell them. And I go, whoa, 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 no, that's not, that's not where I'm at. Um, I don't, in fact, I'd rather see somebody give, send me back a two-page typewritten letter telling me how full of beans I was because of some article, because it means that he sat down, thought it out, organized his thoughts, and put them down into a letter. I win. All I want to do each month is reach out and scratch their brains and make them think. Don't care what they think. Don't care how they end up thinking. Don't care what their final thought process is. Don't care. If they think, I win. I believe Jason has the same philosophy. I've, Lord knows I've tried to inculcate it in him that we don't, we're not trying to tell people how to game. We're telling people, game, enjoy it. Look a field. Look at the other games besides where you, you are now. Here's this new one. Try this. Try that. In the third issue, I'm hoping some role players got a bunch of those silly ships laying around. Oh, well, okay. What the heck? Let's, let's try this. Even if they don't like it, I don't care. They tried it. They expanded their horizons. I never wanted to print a magazine that, like the dragon became. You must think this. <laughs> yeah, over time it did become like, well, like it became a house magazine for, 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 the, uh, for the game. Well, it actually said across the top that it was official. Yeah. Yeah. If they put a rule change in there, it was official. Mm-hmm. And I well, that played 3.5 that treated it that way. I heard one of them grousing one day. Oh, geez, they just changed such a... We're playing tomorrow night, and i got to figure out what it means. And I was just dumbfounded. What? <laughs> what do you mean they just changed it? It's your game. Oh, no, you got to play the rules. That's when I realized there was a whole different subset of role players out there. It's okay if they're having fun. I don't care. Two years ago, I published on my thread. I, I gave up the edition wars. I eschew the edition wars. If you're having fun, whatever system you're using is just fine for you. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Next question. Uh, Let's see. Next question comes from Dwayne Wallace. He asks, what is your favorite monster to throw at your player characters and your favorite trap to use? Well, my favorite monster is the first one I created, the boule. Mm -hmm. Uh Ah, the land shark. That, that is one nasty, nasty beastie. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a warm, fuzzy spot in my heart for the boule. Um, people that play in my game didn't ever want to go outdoors. <laughs> they never want to go outdoors. Um, traps, I never really got into ingenious, involved, complex traps. Um, that was more of an abstract in my games um, 
you triggered it or you didn't. You disabled it or you didn't. Um, I stayed pretty much to the mundane, you know, spikes and needles out of the walls, spikes up out of the floor, rocks out of the ceiling, you know. Uh, and there are, um, in one of my recently published adventures, in fact, Curse of the Weaver, there's a couple of um, things that happen in there that might be considered trap-like. <laughs> okay. So the last question we have for you, uh, you basically answered part one already when Nick asked a question uh, about moving from uh, quarterly to monthly publications, but Scott Culkins expands on it by saying, if you were to do that, what would be the criteria to make that transition smooth? Well, see, it wouldn't go from quarterly to monthly. Okay. Um, we we started out, when we, when we started the Dragon... Uh, from from uh, strategic review, we spun it into actually two magazines. A lot of people don't remember Little Wars. Little Wars was devoted to all the rest of gaming besides fantasy, and um, it was a much smaller piece of the market. And we eventually ended up folding them back in. But we went bi monthly um, for a reason. You need a lot of material on hand to be able to get the mix that you seek. You can't always think your file drawer is going to have just the right mix for the salad this month. All right? You just can't do that. So if we're going to go from a quarterly to more frequent, I would say go to six the next year. And then my personal advice will be, I don't think we'll ever go beyond maybe eight or nine a year. There's several other magazines that quite successfully use those numbers. People think nonetheless of them. And you're able to put out a better product. You don't dilute your product when you put it. You put it out too much. If you don't have enough there, it starts to get diluted. And the only dragon, particularly less so in Little Wars, I rewrote so much of what went in because I discovered young writers that had great ideas that didn't know how to write yet. Well, they'd see what I'd do to their article, and the next time they sent me in one, it looked a lot more like the one I'd done, what I'd made out of their first one. You know, I, I help some people learn to write. Um, but, and I was, because I only needed fantasy stuff every other month. Every other month. No, I had no lack of uh, military stuff. Um, there's guys on the History Channel and the Military Channel now that when they were kids were writing for Little Wars. Um, the guy that's on for the, um, the Tank Museum, uh, big bull neck guy, bald head. He was sending in articles when he was in high school. Get uh, out of town. Really? No, yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. John Prados. I published John Prados in Little Wars magazine. Um, there are a couple others that I've seen on TV. And, you know, I point them out to my wife, and she's going, oh, God, another one. <laughs> yeah, there were guys. You know, they were historians just getting into that, you know, and... I was an outlet for them, and they, they wrote good stuff. Obviously, I published it. It wasn't, it wasn't just the best. I wrote it and didn't do much to it. They were better. Actually, the guys who wrote for Little Wars on the whole were better writers. But that's because they were doing historical research and that type of stuff. They weren't making it up out of their head. There's a real difference there. I think it's a framework that when you're writing fantastical stuff, especially back then, the uh, fantasy, the people writing the role-playing stuff didn't have that framework to build on. 
So we've got some really bad, bad, bad submissions that have brilliant ideas in them. So I just rewrote them. I just typed them all over. Tried to keep the author's voice, and I did a very good job. I'm very proud of that. Um, I wrote uh, the first six dragons, 40% of them, because I rewrote a lot of stuff. But uh, I kept it in the author's voice. And here, what we're trying to we, we with our singular spot in the business right now, we should be able to get enough good people. But I still wouldn't want to go beyond eight, eight a year, maybe. Hmm. Um, Maybe we take a break. Um, we hit bi-monthly during the convention season, and then we, we skip a month or two uh, during the winter, you know, that type of thing. It, it remains to be seen, but there's several magazines that do it that way, um, and it works for them. So we'll see how it goes. That's way down the road, way down the road. Yeah, yeah. You know, I may not even, you know, I'm, I, I hope, but, you know, I may not be involved anymore. It, when we were talking earlier, uh, it was like kind of I got locked in because if I went away, everybody wanted to know why. So I said stay because <laughs> it wasn't any high, it wasn't any bad blood or anything. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up where I am now as a contributing editor. And Jason and I talk, and uh, James and I talk, and Jim Wampler and I talk. Uh, I'm I'm getting more in touch with the uh, uh, the other two editors. Um, we're working on submission guidelines. Jim's working on art guidelines. As soon as we have those formalized, they will go up and we will start accepting submissions. But uh, as I said earlier, my desk used to be six deep all the time. We hope to be able to control that flow a little better this way. And if we see something that looks pretty interesting and is maybe worth following up on, then maybe one of us will start working with that person and maybe we'll help them. Hmm. You know, if it's an idea we feel is... I always felt that this person has an idea or makes a point that I think is valid, then I'll help them say it or help them make it. Because I, I had the hubris to think that if I thought it was important, it probably was. Hmm. Well, Gary and I were right more often than we were wrong. You can see how you could fall into that. Definitely true. <laughs> it's an easy trap to fall into when you're succeeding. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Nick, do you have any, uh, any more questions? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, I'll be a total con. Let me, let, me, uh, let me get a free plug in here. <laughs> sure. And then the first week in March is CincyCon. And um, Goodman Games is coming to CincyCon because Mike is staying at my house while he's here. Mike Curtis. He's going to be running some Dungeon Crawl Classics at CincyCon. And then two weeks later, he and I are both at uh, GaryCon. Of course, he'll be going home in the meantime. And then I'm in Texas. And then I don't think I'm doing anything till GenCon. Oh. Unless somebody sends me a ticket and says, come play games with strangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Tim, it's, we've kept you for about uh, close to two hours here, so... It's my pleasure. Anybody knows me knows I love to talk. <laughs> So let's wrap up this special insert, and uh, Tim, just stay on the line uh, after the show. Uh, good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Roll for initiative.